Broadcasting live from Jason Statham. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Gareth Strother. And I'm one of your other hosts, Jason Statham. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, you inspired me, Gareth. That's fantastic. (laughs) I love it, Seamus. I love it. Uh, Today's main segment is Crank 2 High Voltage. (laughs) Is that a real... Did they make a Crank 2? Yeah, what? I never saw it, but I always wanted to because Crank 1 is kick-ass. But our actual main segment today is Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception, and Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, featuring the character Charlie Cutter, who, as much as Nathan Drake is a Nathan Fillion placeholder... Charlie Cutter is just Jason Statham. <laughs> yeah, for sure, 100%. But once again, we got a pretty beefy news week, starting off with news that makes me very sad, because a filmmaker whose filmography I have taken for granted my entire life, and don't really reflect on that much, has passed away. That is Ivan Reitman, most known for directing the first two Ghostbusters films. Also, Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger buddy comedy classics like Twins and Junior. And what is my probably favorite of his films, and I don't know if I've rec-centered it before or not, Dave, starring Kevin Kline and Sigourney Weaver, which is a film I absolutely adore and was thinking about literally like 12 hours before he died how good that movie is. Or not before he died, but before the news broke, I guess. Honestly, I, I think Ghostbusters... And Ghostbusters 2, I'll say it. I think they were definitely huge, formative, film-wise, uh, formative movies for me growing up. I was probably far too young, genuinely scared of a lot of the ghosts and stuff in those original ones. I was that young. They're absolute classics. And I've actually never seen Dave, so maybe that's one that we should sit down to together. We would also, of course, be remiss not to mention Stripes, oh, a love severely Stripes. underrated film. That ending, you know, sequence where they're doing their, like, graduation, it gets me hyped, Garrett. That, like, it gets me on my feet. It's so good. Which is hilarious because that is absolutely not the ending, even though it feels like it should be. Because the third not? act of that movie isn't super good and kind of forgettable. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think specifically when they stay up all night practicing their graduation mm. routine and then do it. That's cinema, baby. So good. So good. I can't think of an Ivan Reitman movie I don't adore. But then again, I've not seen some of his later work, like Draft Day with Kevin Costner. I have no idea what that is. My dad speaks highly of the movie Evolution, which is like Ghostbusters and Men in Black had a baby. Ooh, that's not... Wait, who's in that? I want to say it's David Duchovny and Julianne Moore, but let me look it up. It is David Duchovny and Julianne Moore. (laughs) Very nice. David Duchovny was in a different, like, weird alien thing? It was in 2001, so I'm assuming it was, like, because of his own alien Oh, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Maybe we should double feature Evolution and Dave? The ultimate movie pairing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on to some similarly disheartening news i suppose okay james i don't know man the death of cinema amy schumer wanda sykes and regina hall are all going to three-way co-host the oscars this year and while i don't really have too much against wanda sykes i guess like she's funny on curb like she's great 
Amy Schumer is not my favorite, and I guess no. I don't have too much bad to say about Regina Hall besides a lot of the movies that she stars in are movies that I don't necessarily think look very good. Yeah, I have nothing against Regina Hall. I do not like Amy Schumer, and I like Wanda Sykes, so it's kind of an interesting trio there. Maybe that's the point, though. They're trying to be like, all right, we'll have three, we'll, we'll take the spread on the field. Everyone will at least maybe like one of these three people. And maybe tune in. I don't know. Maybe they're there to balance each other out. If they were going to do a comeback of like, all right, we're doing hosts again, they should have, I don't know, they should have got Steve Martin is all I'm saying. Well, okay, we said it last week. It th- should have been that. It should have been somebody huge and amazing and with a stage presence that we all love, like undeniable. Well, all all three of them the are- news, Seamus. Did you not hear this? Did I not send you this article? Jason, mm-hmm. or Jason Statham, not Jason Statham. <laughs> um, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez- were approached and couldn't make it work due to scheduling conflicts. Oh, God, that's right. You did send me that. I I almost thought that was a joke at first when you sent that over because I just so perfectly devastating to our perfect Oscar hosts. See, that would have been the trifecta of, like, older folks and younger folks. Everybody gets a little something there, but now we just have this mess. And Steve Martin's an intellectual comedian and Martin Short's insane. So Exactly. It would have been... Perfect. Piling up on the bad Oscar news, (laughs) the Oscars is placating Twitter trolls everywhere and Jimmy Kimmel, I guess, by adding a most popular film category that will be recognized during the ceremony that will be voted on by viewers like you. Uh, I don't know how to feel about this that much. I kind of would love for it to be completely overtaken by just absolute like monster internet trolls that could do this i they don't win an oscar for this right it's just kind of like a nod thing i don't know the answer to that question uh, i don't know if they have really even announced the answer to that question but we will see during the ceremony like it it's uh, it just it blows my mind that it's like the two <laughs> it's the two groups of people i hold the least amount of trust in movie <laughs> recommendations it's twitter and the academy it's very <laughs> It's the it's the worst of both worlds, Garrett. I don't know I don't know how to feel. They're gonna call this the Uncle Ben Memorial Spider Man Award every year <laughs> after this. I guess will we vote? Will our will our official Twitter account vote on something? Ooh, the pop Do we get reference. To... I I don't know. What if we disagree, Seamus? <laughs> our seal of approval. That's interesting. I guess I need to see more movies. What I... if we just troll them and do a like letter writing campaign for Quiet Place Part Two? Um, (laughs) yeah, I think that if our official Twitter account, though, does anything, it has to be F9. I think that's fair game. Did did, did F9 get nominated this year for anything? I don't think it did. I'm telling you, did we make this joke last week? Vin Diesel should host the Oscars because he would be like genuine and earnest about every single thing he said about Hollywood. Okay, Seamus, I got a pitch for you. I got a pitch for you. Lay it on me. I'm I'm sure you can hear my futon squeaking beneath my (laughs) excited little feet. It's pitch black. In the Kodak Theater, or whatever they call it now, okay, you hear a piano, like, slow chords, and then all of a sudden, over the speakers, the movies. Oh my god. And then the crowd goes ape. <laughs> they go crazy, Garrett. They lose their minds. I would fly to L.A. I would be a seat filler. Like, I would kill people to be in that room. (laughs) Truly. They should do a new Universal attraction that's Universal, colon, the magic of the movies with Vin Diesel. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I would, I would legit love that. Should we hit some Super Bowl trailers and then move on to our main segment, though? Yes, let's do it. Um, starting off with a very cool and very revealing Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness trailer. Do you want to get to the important part? The part I don't care about? The, the Professor what? X thing? How? D- that's not the coolest part of that trailer? I do Professor not X showed up. Care about Come the X Men, Seamus? You know Dude, this about me. I I guess I am now remembering <laughs> that I said that I'm gonna force my box set Blu-rays on us both. But <laughs> I I don't know. I think it's just the radical nature of like you already got your Fantastic Four tease. Now you get your X Men tease. You know Deadpool's gonna be at the end of it. I mean I don't know how I feel about that per se, but. Listen, I think it's cool that they seem to be doing the Illuminati, and that seems like a natural point to bring in Professor X. It's just that I don't care. It's just it's more <laughs> where I'm coming from. But I love Sam Raimi, as you know. When I first watched this during the big game, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if that felt like super Sam Raimi-y. And I think that's mostly because, again, like every other Marvel thing, there wasn't a lot of color. And then right, when I right. went back and I watched it, there was a lot of like, you go into Wanda's eye, Darkman style, and there's there are some little visual tricks, and there was like a Raimi zoom that I caught a half a second Oh, of. sure, yeah. It does seem like they have left Raimi's directorial flair intact at least a little bit, which does excite me. And, you know, I care more about Sam Raimi than I care about any X-Man showing up in the MCU. Sure, I feel that. I feel that. I'm definitely excited for Sam Raimi here because I feel like... Out of a lot of people that we know are doing Marvel things, I feel like he is going to nail what I expect to be like an almost Infinity War-esque ending. I don't think we're getting a happy ending out of whatever we're seeing here, from the trailers at least, and what I'm expecting. He likes to be a little devious horror fellow. He's not going to let any of these characters off the hook easy, so... Doctor Strange in some kind of weird, like, like almost like zombie form or something. Yeah, with all these, yeah. Those black arms around him. Maybe I knew what I was getting out of Spider-Man a little more. I, I still had a lot of, you know, surprises that really threw me in that, but... Even with the trailers that we have for Doctor Strange, I'm fully <laughs> unaware of where we're going here. Oh, and it's going to totally. be just like a... It's going to be like a roller coaster in the dark. Might be a little spooky, and it, it'll be a lot of fun, and we're going to grip each other's arms really hard when <laughs> when uh, <laughs> Bruce Campbell shows up with a chainsaw hand. Uh, I hope Bruce Campbell's one of the Illuminati members. That's what I'm That would be pretty kick-ass, right? Oh. You, you mentioned spooky earlier. And I was going to use that as a transition point, but then we moved on. <laughs> so I'm just putting it back now. You're just shoehorning it right back into yeah, place. Perfect. Uh, uh, a new nightmare from Academy Award winning director Jordan Peele comes <laughs> Nope, which is, I think, now we can definitively say some kind of alien invasion movie. Can we definitively say that? Uh, it's, no. It's in the sky, it's I guess. It's in the sky, it's... and it's there's a cloud, and... Like, like, I a... know as much from this trailer as I knew looking at the poster, pretty much, you yeah. know? Like, it's it's all over the place. I'm excited. I like that it's got a rural western setting. I think that's a fun mm-hmm. pastiche to play in for him. It looks like the perfect distillation of Peel's first two features in terms of scale. Like, Get Out's really small scale and tight working. And then, like, Us is too... It's ambitious, it doesn't quite all connect because its scale is so large. 
Sure, um, sure. And I like the scale. This looks like it's mostly kind of contained to one town or one area. And we've got like a core cast of characters that we're following. It looks like Tremors meets Close Encounters of the Third Kind to me. And I've actually never seen Tremors, so we should definitely put that Ooh, on the list. But... Yes, absolutely. Well, actually, <laughs> on the on the episode schedule, because uh, I have us covering Nope when it comes out in July, the week before that, because we're so uh, hard up, I have us covering Close Encounters. Double feature? Maybe <laughs> Double Encounters? Yeah. It could be fun, yeah. I'm pretty hyped for Nope, though. I, I think you said it pretty well. Feels like a, a good, happy medium between his first two major projects there, and I love the skinwalker ranch style like we we don't know what's happening here this is legitimately super unsettling and kind of feels like it is gonna be a little bit more that bottle idea like get out was in a way but whatever they have to throw at us for the twists of whatever this thing actually is i'm i already know that i'm not ready and i'm i'm very much looking forward to it i loved us i find it hard to and a lot of people dog on me for this but how weird us was almost makes it rival get out for me i feel like get out is just maybe a better film in general us's ambition is something that makes it both not work but also it mesmerizes me yeah maybe that's what it was i was just so enthralled with the disturbing mystery of everything and the surreal this nope is like you said it's gonna be kind of the best of both worlds from what i can see here and I am uh, very excited to get scared again out there. Jordan Peele really does it great, and uh, I, I can't wait. But should we move on to our main segment, Seamus? Yeah, let's do it. For today's main segment, we're going to be covering Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception, and Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. Even though we gave last week when we covered Uncharted 1 and 2 our more general thoughts on the franchise as a whole, I still think up top we should do some spoiler-free thoughts about, like, what you think of these two games. Generally, then we'll bop in spoilers for three and four individually. Yeah, that sounds great with me. Perfect. What is your general take on uh, Uncharted 3 and Uncharted 4, Seamus? I kind of liked how we... I mean, it's just in chronological order, of course, but the way we split them off with 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 here now, it's interesting to look at them together, 3 and 4 specifically, because they are kind of that middle two in very different ways like the gameplay of four is incredible so smooth a lot of what we were saying last week about the cinematic aspect of of how much the movement and the choices that you make as a player kind of contribute to how it all looks it four is just like stunning mechanically and in that cinematic way three i think is maybe one of my favorite ideas for an overall story (laughs) i love T.E. Lawrence and all of that Lawrence of Arabia stuff and such a fun globetrotting adventure. You get to do a lot of stuff. As we talked about up top, Cutter, love him. He should get his own spinoff game, maybe, with Sam. That would be fun. Well, the fact that Cutter is only in Uncharted 3 is just insane to me because he feels in my head as just a part of the crew like any other person. Yeah. Wait, I didn't play Lost Legacy yet. Maybe he shows up in oh, Lost actually, Legacy. Oh, actually, it would make sense for him to show up in Lost Legacy, Yeah, it? right. Because, like, he and Chloe, yeah, he probably is in Lost Legacy, but we I, don't know. We've not played it. Honestly, I really hope he is, but I pr- we probably would have heard about that by now. Like, that's a pretty big comeback character. We'll talk more about this in, in three spoilers. I do think there is an upgrade there's like a turning point where these start to feel more fluid 
these games, I think, mm-hmm. more cinematic. And not that the first two don't feel super cinematic, especially two, but I think Uncharted 3 were already almost in, like, Last of Us territory in terms of, like, really pushing the PS3 really far. Yeah. Uncharted 4, obviously, is still an amazing-looking game. Like, if Uncharted 4 came out today, I'd be in awe of it. Oh, yeah. But a, like, concrete example of a shift is the climbing sections in Uncharted 3 and Uncharted 4. That's the first time where you're not getting these super awkward, predetermined, like, cutaway angles, depending on Mm -hmm. where you jump to. The camera's just with you the whole way, and it feels fluid, and it's not distracting, and you don't have to think about it, and it just happens. Yeah, that naturalistic kind of switch over there. You, you almost think about it less, but man, is it way more satisfying and easy to play. Like, 1 and 2 have pretty similar gunplay mechanics, with 2s being just a better version of 1s, but these both have, and we'll talk about them each individually, pros and cons-wise, very different both gunplay and hand-to-hand mm-hmm. combat mechanics than the other two games in the franchise, which is, I think, a really interesting thing. That the Uncharted series, for being, you know, a third-person cover-based adventure shooter, jumps around a lot in terms of what its actual gameplay mechanics are. I feel like in a lot of ways they were trying to tweak it for three as the final chapter at the time. I don't know what they were thinking Uncharted 4-wise when they were doing that or if that was even on the table at the time. We gotta wait for three spoilers to talk about that. Okay, all right. Fair fair enough, fair enough. But definitely the gameplay is, even between three and four, just like vast it is it is a very interesting uh split there i think we've pretty much given our overview let's dive into each of them individually starting with uncharted 3 drake's deception originally came out for the playstation 3 towards the end of that console's lifespan currently available as seamus and i are playing it on playstation 4 on the Nathan Drake collection. It's an interesting experience to come back and revisit this one. I mean, you laughed at my joke before, but it really should have been the best one. The story, in my mind, you know, when we do all of our personal rewrites of all of our favorite things to make them perfect for us, I there are just some aspects of 3, story-wise, that drag a lot of what I think could have been really, really good writing down a little bit, a yeah. few notches just overall, because it is... A little clunky in very important parts. I completely agree with that. It should have been the last crusade, Garrett. That's part of the problem, I think, is it's trying too hard to be the last crusade. Well, I guess it could have been Uncharted's last crusade. It could have been their last crusade. Trying to make it the last crusade. This movie, this game, rather, is just Indiana Jones 3. It is literally like almost Mm. beat for beat just Indiana Jones 3. I really wish it weren't. Because I get trying to, like, tap into that, like, oh, it's the finale of the series, and, Mm -hmm. like, Nathan Drake is gonna ride off into the sunset, but I just don't think it focuses on the right stuff, unfortunately. I think it gets, uh, you were talking about its story beats, and I think it's, the gameplay is fun. The set pieces, I think, are some of the most creative and iconic in the series, the only thing I, like, knew about Uncharted, really, before I started playing them, was I knew the plane sequence. Right, right. Because it's so visually stunning, 
And the idea of being able to play that in a video game is just insane. Falling out of the back of a cargo jet and climbing up debris as you fall mm. through the desert. The iconic, like, AK-47 sticking out of the sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, definitive Nathan Drake image is that moment, that sequence with the scarf on his neck and the plane doing his thing. Ah, it's, it's great. It's also because this is the game of the three originals that looks by far the best. It's impressive to me how much I didn't feel like it was a graphical upgrade in the Nathan Drake collection, and I think that's a, just a testament to how good it looked originally. Totally, yeah. Like you said, it was that, like, the back end of the PS3. They were just, like, giving it its all. And that's where we get into, I think, now we gotta talk about gameplay changes, the mechanical changes of this game, which are both good and bad. The gunplay is awful. It's <laughs> so sluggish. And the Nathan Drake collection, I noticed, the default is to have it be more close to 1 and 2's gameplay. Uh-huh. And you can change it back to, like, the, quote, original 3 gameplay which makes this game feel so much tighter and snappier. It's an interesting thing that they even gave the option for, I guess it's for purists, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you played it on the PS3 originally and you were like, this doesn't feel like I remember it feeling, because sure, I remember sure. going, I think within 24 hours of each other, I ended Uncharted 2 and began Uncharted 3 back when I originally played them. Mm -hmm. I was like, this feels like a different game. The mechanics are so different. The shooting is so sluggish. And that goes in hand with, You've got this whole combat system for the hand-to-hand -hand stuff that does flow better, I think, but is completely different than the two preceding games, which in turn are completely different from the fourth game. Yeah, I was jumping between a lot of them, getting my bearings again and doing that. It's a jarring getting killed instantly because I am struggling to just punch somebody successfully between two, three, and four. It's, it's, it's definitely weird. And I love the interactivity of the hand-to-hand -hand in this one where like in the opening level set in london which i think oh, is a yeah. fantastic start to that game you can throw a guy up against like a kitchen counter and then if you hit circle at approximately the right place nate will grab a pan off the counter and like hit him and there's stuff scattered like that yeah, all throughout yeah. the game and i think that that feels so cool and frankly it feels next gen oh yeah totally I wish, honestly, that they kind of brought that back for 4, and we'll talk more about in 4 why. Because 4 has extremely pared down combat, and I think there's a reason for that that we'll get into later. For 3, though, gunplay changes didn't work so much, but I do think the hand-to-hand -hand combat is a really interesting and rewarding system. I think I agree on that, and... Like you said, a lot of the fun of that hand-to-hand -hand interacting with the environment, like, it does so damn naturally. It, just, it feels great. It feels great. Love that bar fight, like you said, grabbing a beer bottle and just, like, smashing it over somebody's head, like, barely even realizing that that was an option before it happens in such a fluid way. It's great. It's very, very well done. We have to talk about this movie on, again. This is, like, the eighth time over these two episodes that I've referred <laughs> I to these games as movies. <laughs> We have to talk about this game on its own terms. I think the terms on which it was made were as the last installment in the Uncharted series. Yes. We talked about it borrowing heavily from the structure of Last Crusade, and it really does down to the opening, or not quite the opening, and we do start technically in modern day with London, Drake and Sully on a little adventure, but then we cut back to see Nate and Sully meet for the first time. And I think that that is, a, again, a really good opening, and it's really solid. And it frames the series as this relationship between Nate and Sully. 
Mm-hmm. Like, it shows you how far back they go, back to Nate being a teenager, and the entire game, they're taking Nate and Sully and making them spend more time together, pushing their, like, father-son dynamic, and foreshadowing that Sully, Sully's not as young as he used to be, Nate, <laughs> in a way that, I think, actually, that writing is really effective in that them foreshadowing it so over the top makes me believe it at the end when he does die, quote-unquote. Oh, I was about to say the same thing. Like, even having had played four many times over, it I was like, wait, what? Did I did I completely forget this? They push it so hard. Yeah. Like they're like, Nate, I'm I'm getting old, you know, I can't do this anymore. You're <laughs> this is gonna be my last mine. adventure, kid. That's them really pushing this last crusade thing. This this father son adventure. While I like that idea and I think that the exploration of Nate and Sully's relationship is welcome and frankly needed because over the first two games, even though Sully we think of as a super iconic part of the Uncharted franchise, they don't spend a tremendous amount of time together because Sully gets gets shot at the beginning of one. Right, yeah, and kidnapped for a lot of that game. Until the third act. And then yeah, pretty in, much. in two, he kind of checks out after the first couple missions. He's like, okay, you, you go do your thing with, with Chloe I'll show up at the end yeah. of the game and make a joke and that'll be it. <laughs> so three, it's it's nice to have them together so much. And I really like the bit where they're exploring the old mansion. I think that's a really fun oh, sequence yeah, for, sure. for their interaction. And it, like that's where Uncharted really shines for me. And something that I wish more games would learn from the Uncharted series is I love walking around with characters and just letting them interact. That really is a... Uh a very naughty dog thing that I didn't realize that I appreciated so much until you just said that. Cause you can see that in pretty much every uncharted and last of us game is like there's idle time between battles. And that idle time is used to flesh out these characters and their relationships. And that's why I don't mind these climbing mechanics being so bare bones because that's the time when you're going around and talking to those characters. That's the experience that you're building. And that's why I'm so much more invested in these NPCs than I am really any other game franchise. Like, I think about Jedi Fallen Order, a game that so clearly is taking so much of its structure and its gameplay from Uncharted. But it's always like, okay, kid, we're going to stay on the ship and you go have your little Jedi adventure. And I'm like, no, come with me, Grease. (laughs) (laughs) That's why BD1 is best boy. He, he gets I, all the character true. development. It's absolutely true. It's because <laughs> that's you get, actually true. You go through these adventures with them, and that's why I think that it, it ties all the way back. Is the character who you spent the most time with? That's not Nate. The character you've been through these hard, scary adventures with. The characters who you've faced death with. Mm. It's Elena. Uncharted ultimately is the story about Drake and Elena, and this game forgets that. And that's why I think it just doesn't quite connect, is because it's too focused on Sully and Nate, and not focused enough on Elena. The Elena stuff in this game is good, it's just too little. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's it's like they're really trying to go best of both worlds there, but they're kind of like middling on, on it, and it doesn't help them at all at the end, when it is supposed to be a lot more of a romantic ride off into the sunset implication because they pull the national treasure too and they have them broken up at the beginning of this game again again yeah yeah which i hate i'm like uncharted 2 is such a perfect 
ending for them have them together their relationship didn't work out because of nate's immaturity between one and two and then it just happens again between yeah exactly i like the whole like he's got the wedding ring thing and then this game he loses his drake ring but he gets the wedding ring i like that parallel there are things in it that work but ultimately the focus just isn't enough on them and the reason i think that they're broken up at the beginning of the story is so that you can basically just go through the motions of having an elena story without ever actually having to do work yeah the scene where he leaves her at the airstrip i remember the first time i played that and being like gutted by that and she is simultaneously so worried about him and so pissed at him yeah that's a superhuman moment for elena it's a moment that makes us not like nathan which I like that. And I wish there were more moments like that throughout the game. And then, of course, she comes and helps you board the plane in a second. But yeah, yeah. I like that moment. And I wish that the focus were more on Elena. But we get to talk about that when we get to Uncharted 4. And I think that that's ultimately the reason why they made Uncharted 4 is because everything in this game is telegraphing to us. This is the last one. We're back, Nate, Sully, and Elena. The gang's all here. We're going to get on Sully's new plane and go on a new (laughs) adventure with Nate's new ring. And he lost the old ring and the mystery of the Drakes are all wrapped up, but it just doesn't feel like a catharsis. It doesn't feel like a finale because the focus is in the wrong place. and And then ultimately uncharted forest come in and say no no this is the real ending even though i mean i don't know if you want to get into uncharted 4 right now there's a few a few curveballs that uncharted 4 just kind of plops on you that's for uncharted 4 yes yes i want to talk about the caravan sequence if you're looking for something to talk about let's let's please because uncharted 1 and 2 both have kind of similar caravan sequences yeah they do each one gets progressively bigger as it goes And I think three is the best of them. And four technically kind of has one too. Yeah, right. It's a caravan and a chase and every, like, it's like 15 different things. But yeah, the Uncharted 3 caravan sequence. Where you're just hopping from car to car, truck to truck, and taking out goons and grabbing their guns and whatever. Other trucks pull up, you, you jump across, a helicopter maybe pops up. There just happens to be an RPG in a truck somewhere that you can pick up. Yeah. One of the, I would say, standout examples that we could give of any of these games to, again, highlight that cinematic transitional action that you can take as a player that just, like, you keep missaying movies for a reason, you know? They just look stunning, and you feel like the action hero, and you're not wrong. This third one is, like, a great finale as it were to the caravan (laughs) sequence if they were probably planning for that but you're not wrong that it kind of uh mutates a little more in four to the point that it maybe is a different kind of gameplay moment there i also like the i i want to see bravery honestly the boldness of this game to have three extended sequences that are just really walking because there's the two times that you hallucinate in the game Right, yeah. And there is the lengthy desert walking scene, which I love. I I mean, it's... I almost forgot about that part. It's kind of boring, but that's the point, and I like that about it. It's true desert mirage level danger for our boy. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly meets really Lawrence of Arabia. I guess that's the whole point is that it's very much like that. I mean, he ends up at the single well in that sequence too. Uh-huh. That's like straight out of that movie. And yep. we get our like Rambo three sequence after that too, where he like gets rescued by 
horse riding tribal people that like come out of nowhere and again very last crusade very last crusade of course getting on and off of uh horses and like being rescued in that sequence again cinematic gold right there also it has just occurred to me that the cruise ship uh sequences in this game i don't oh, yeah. remember how it fits into the plot even <laughs> a little bit because there's usually some kind of boat sequence but you are 100 percent right that that is in this game somewhere I remember it being a hard gunfight. A couple of gunfights on that awful. bad boy. Oh my goodness, yeah. we were in that ballroom. Real bad. Oh yeah, that takes you so many tries. Even though they don't have the minigun guys back, they've got these super heavy guys still. Yeah, um, yeah. They Oh, you got to sprinkle a couple of those fellas in. Being on a Poseidon Adventure-style capsized cruise ship? Cool. Totally. Again, the fact that it's not in service of a better, larger story makes it all kind of feel hollow. Because ultimately Mm. what Uncharted 3 is to me is like a weird combination of Uncharted's 1 and 2. It's kind of like a a greatest hits, but the fact that the story doesn't connect and the story doesn't lead so directly into the adventure and the action set pieces really just kind of make it fall flat in terms of being a finale. Totally agree. Totally agree. And somehow those were sneakily my final thoughts. I didn't mean for (laughs) that to be my wrap-up, but it was. Uh, with that cruise ship done, let's, I guess, move on to other ship-based adventures. Yeah, let's let's cruise on over to Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. Spoilers, I... obviously, yes. because we yes. just gotta, we gotta talk about Sam. The secret brother. Let's do it. Definitely out of nowhere. Not planned at any point in the original trilogy. And I can fully respect uh, a retcon here and there. Uh, This is a pretty big one, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. But I like Sam as a character in a lot of ways, and I think him as this weird, like, dirty foil of Nathan Drake is, you know, leads to a lot of interesting stuff on screen with them together. So I think it's an interesting choice, but definitely originally playing it threw me for a loop. There are two things with Sam that make me not mind it, because it is extremely jarring. Yeah, it really is. One, his backstory is established in such a way, and you play through it, which is the important part, that you experience these things with Nathan. Mm -hmm. And the backstory is written in such a way where I'm like, yeah, Nathan would never talk about that. I appreciated a lot of that, all those building blocks to put up with like, oh, yeah, I guess somebody with like a very jovial passive for i mean for the amount of people he's killed nathan drake is just like a very easygoing you know mass murderer but uh that's like an incredibly dark chapter i mean even in the other parts of the games he doesn't talk about his childhood that much because the flashbacks we do get it's like oh he had it very terribly and that i appreciate for sure they also do things like they weave in elements of the backstory that make it seem like nate's talking about that like in the very first scene of uncharted one he makes a joke about how Elena's obviously never been to a Panamanian prison. Yeah. And then we find out that his brother was brutally murdered, or so he thought, in a Panamanian prison. I like those little connections. And then the second part of what makes Sam work for me is the fact that I was talking about how ultimately Uncharted is the story of Nathan and Elena. I think the pushback that you could give is that Uncharted 4 is about Sam and Nate. But that function for the entire game, despite being his own fully fleshed out, well-rounded character, is to be that foil you were mentioning for Nate. Nate's grappling, Nate's relationship with Sam is ultimately what instigates the conflict between him and Elena. What the parts of Sam 
that are in Nate are the things that are driving a wedge between Nate and Elena. Perfectly said. That's exactly what makes that weird train of chaotic relationships so interesting to see. Uncharted 4 has got such a, like a realistic darkness to it. All the stuff with his past with Sam and the things being dredged up between Nate and Elena's marriage that like, again, we kind of don't see in between the games, but are like still fully affecting them as if it would affect any other regular person who's, you know, now just like a river diver in the city. We've got to talk about when we talk about that tonal shift, there's so much of it in this game and we're gonna have to spend a lot of our time here breaking down like what that is because this is so far from the tone of the rest of the uncharted series that it could have really really messed it up it was a really big gamble i think do you think if it had released closer to uncharted 3 do you think it would have been a little it would have been less couth i don't know because i wasn't paying attention back then Um, oh fair fair I do think that I ha- I still had to wait almost a year between playing the first three Uncharted games and playing Uncharted 4. So for me, there still was a big gap. Mm-hmm. But the reason that this changed, this honestly could have been our pop culture reference for today, but it, I think the thing that we end- are going to end up talking about is more important, ultimately. Mm. Uncharted 3, while it was in development, only half of Naughty Dog was working on it, and the other half was working on a little game that you may have heard of called The Last of Us, mm. um, only the most critically acclaimed video game of all time. <laughs> This game, Uncharted 4, is so transparently influenced by the success of The Last of Us. It's got the creative team behind The Last of Us helming it, while Amy Hennig, who made the first three games, left uh, during development. I think that a lot of the tonal changes, a lot of the gameplay changes, a lot of everything that's going on in Uncharted 4 is because of the success of The Last of Us and kind of The Last of Us icing the Uncharted series. Yeah, I think you are spot on with that, and it honestly makes me pretty curious about the tone of The Lost Legacy. I know we are not covering that at all, and I haven't even played it, but like in every single way, so much darker in theme and tone. You still get plenty Nathan Drake-isms, a lot of fun quips here and there, and You know, like we touched on before, there is still a lot of that character interaction between these big action pieces, you know, driving, walking, what have you, in between whatever uh, thing you're doing. But overall, like, I think of that game in a light that is almost nearly completely removed from the original trilogy of Uncharted games, and maybe not necessarily lumping it in specifically with those Last of Us games, but I would say, yeah, that uh, is a lot closer to what we have been seeing more recently from them than anything else. And not to mention the fact that I think, frankly, I mean, there's one huge standout sequence in in this game that we kind of already alluded to. But when I think about the Uncharted 4 experience, I don't think about the set pieces the way that I do for the first three games. I think about the characters. And I think Mm. about the moments between the characters because this is so funny to reflect back on because I was late to podcast recording i was texting you i was like hey i'm just finishing up this uncharted cutscene. like i'll be on in a second um and i was like 15 minutes late because the longest cutscene i've ever experienced in my life oh, yeah. um, where elena shows up and finds out that nate's been lying to her that to me i think about as much as i think about 
the plane level from Uncharted 3. Like the motel room, right? Mm-hmm. That that's yeah, truly a devastating moment, I'd say, especially cuz a big thing that I think about uh, again, is the Elena and Nate married home life sequence and how that is like such a big, you know, setup for the adventures in this game. Really, the only time we can see them together in their like regular everyday life relationship uh, in the entire series. Mm-hmm. And that kind of human realism in that first scene I'm talking about where they're just at home versus like that betrayal moment in the motel is is rough spending all that time in the original three as well getting to know them together and then finally seeing like oh yeah fun indiana jones shenanigans will like lead to your actual divorce is like oh my god that is that's heavy stuff and not to mention that entire sequence while being incredibly charming and being lovely to just inhabit that space i Mm -hmm. love that it lets you take so much time and explore their home and interact with so many objects and have Nate give you backstories and flip through their their uh. wedding album and, and things like that. It also taken directly from The Last of Us gameplay because that's how The Last of Us begins and a lot of the gameplay does that after the fact. No supernaturals in this one, eh? That's a big thing for me here. Yeah, and I like that. I like that about it because it wouldn't feel right with the tone of the rest of this game. And I completely agree. And in real narrative structure, I think it would have just been like insanity to fit in skeleton pirates to fight, even though that was my absolute dream the entire time I was playing that game. But at the same time, it feels like there is a curse. Thematically, the curse of the pirate's greed and their treasure, and their backstabbing nature. Nate and Sam are modern-day pirates, and the thing that killed all of these pirates so long ago is still sneaking up and killing them now. So it still has that same through-line that the other Uncharted games have, of this object, this treasure, it comes with a cost. And in those, it's much more literal, and in this one, <laughs> it's, it's thematic, but it's still there. It's still structured like an Uncharted game in that regard. My boy, you hit the nail right on the head. That is exactly how I feel about this. It is the arrival to the decrepit pirate colony in 4. That is like that is that quote-unquote supernatural moment, I feel like, where it's like it is showing the you like you said the consequences of the pure greed of it all leads to ruin. And that's pretty much a lot of what those supernatural ideas hold in one through three. And now we get here and I'm like, all right, where are my skeleton pirates or something akin to that? I don't know why I specifically thought of skeleton pirates. Uh, because of Jason and the Argonauts and, and uh, whatever the other thing Spy is Kids called. Too? Pirates of the Caribbean is what I was thinking, but also yes. Um, <laughs> And now I kind of want to maybe jump to the epilogue here to round out my my supernatural thoughts. Because at the very epilogue of this game, a very charming little where-are-they-now flash-forward into the future, you get to play as Elena and Nate's daughter, whose name I'm completely forgetting. It's Cassie. It's Cassie, because of course it is. All spunky, tenacious, smart girls are named Cassie. She's named after Nate and Sam's mom. Sure, I, I probably played knew that game. at some point. I remember. Yeah, me too. 
But, you know, finding all of these uh, relics of their past adventures and the end of this game and ostensibly the Nathan Drake franchise, I mean, I hope, I couldn't possibly imagine that they'll do, like, a Kingdom of the Crystal Skull style, like, old Nate Drake. Huh? Then again, he could be the new Sully. I would be really interested in, like, five years. Because Caitlin Dever from Booksmart and Justified, she's the one who does the mocap and voices Cassie. And she's, like, oh, like so our age, Seamus, I want to say. Right. Give her, give her a couple years and she could look older than Tom Holland. You give her a couple years, you do an HBO miniseries, Uncharted... Uh, the new legacy or whatever. Damn it, you stole my subtitle. You bring in Nathan Fillion to play old Nate. Yeah. I'm just saying. That sounds pretty baller. Uncharted 4 is everything I could ever want from a major motion picture. Uh, it's heartfelt. It's exciting. It's got really good character development. It's got a really satisfying ending. It's yeah, got a villain definitely. I could not care less about. <laughs> oh yeah, that guy who I don't care about. But isn't... I feel like the de facto villain is really Sam here. That's He's, why this game works, baby. That's, exactly. We don't have to give a damn about the other guy, Rafe. Rafe. Is that it could be one of the four guys, except <laughs> for Lazarevich, whose name I know. Yeah, Rafe and his lieutenant, the head of a mercenary organization, yeah. Nadine Ross who is also in The Lost Legacy, and I have not played it, so I don't know more than that. But I, Yep, me too. I've heard good things about it and her in that game, so we'll definitely have to discuss when we, when we both play it. The conflict is so complex here, because it really is like a triple twist of like, it's Sam, who's already antagonistic in so many ways in Nate's life, and then it's Rafe on top of that, but then it's Sam trying... To get the drop on Rafe, who in turn is like also trying to get the drop on Nate for in a, in a good am- amount of ways too. It's, I mean, he's not lying to Nate this entire game. He's telling him that Hector yeah, Alcazar yeah. is going to kill him if he doesn't get the treasure, and that's what brings Nate out of retirement. He destroys his brother's life and potentially his marriage all on a lie because he knows that he can't get him to do it any other way. Oh, do you think he really? Does he redeem himself in the end? I feel like they kind of wrap that up a little bit, but he is very bad. He's a bad boy. Again, it all goes back to Nate and Elena, and it's about the fact that, like, Elena comes back and saves Nate yeah, because she loves him, because she knows that that's part of who he is, and she expects him, if she's going to continue to come back for him, to change and to grow, but that ultimately that's what's important to her is, is loving him and going back for him. Then at the end of the game, we get to see Nate learn from that, because not only does he give up the treasure and listen to what Elena wants him to do, but then... When Sam is too weak, when Sam being that foiled to Nate has to go back for it, Nate gets to make the exact same choice that Elena made for him to keep Mm -hmm. going with Sam. And so to me, it's not about whether or not Sam redeems himself. It's about the fact that Nate redeems Sam. Very well said. Very well said. God, that game is something, isn't it? Very... Love I mean, that game. imagine say... talking about any of the other Uncharted games like this at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's impossible. The, the depth in 4 is just, you know, it's its own league, truly. And I think Uncharted 4 is better than The Last of Us Part 2. And I know that might be a strange comparison, but I mean, like, between Naughty Dog games, I feel like just in terms of sheer enjoyability, I feel like 
Uncharted Four and The Last of Us Part One are like that perfect that perfect zone right there. I cannot tell you. Oh, that's right. You didn't play Last of Us Two, right? I've never even finished Last of Us One. You fool! How dare you? It makes me too sad, Seamus. I never want to play oh, it. <laughs> no, the most depressing game in existence makes you sad? I'll get like three hours into it and I'll be like, this is just so sad and I just won't like, play it anymore. <laughs> you just want to start like drinking whiskey with a gruff Texas voice? Yeah. Like, this world. It Truly, <laughs> I do. Um, though, speaking of game pacing, I think Uncharted 4, playing it, this is the first time I've ever replayed Uncharted 4. I've replayed the other ones before, but I'm mm-hmm. replaying it for this this episode wow, is it slow. And I don't mind that because it's doing all the important work that sets up the character stuff later. But, I mean, this is where we really need to talk about the fact that this is a movie. This is like, it's a movie with gameplay in between because the cutscenes are super long and they're frequent and we're jumping all over the place time-wise. It's very story-forward in a way that the other games, even though the story is important to them, are not. Like, the first, like, two hours of this game are, like, intersecting flashbacks? Yeah, yeah, seriously. It's a lot of layers in this intro. I think that some people probably wouldn't like replaying it because of that, because they're like, well, I know the twists, so why does it matter? But I enjoy watching it get set up still, and I think the gameplay is fun enough that I don't care. I mentioned the changes in the flow of the hand-to-hand combat and that it's much more simplified in this game and i think that's because they are not trying to break the cinematic experience of the game the heads-up display is far less than it was in previous games um Mm -hmm. to the point that it almost is non-existent cutscenes transition seamlessly from gameplay into a cutscene and vice versa like god of war style replaying the parts of four that i did multiple times that i just like accidentally was just standing around for 10 seconds because i thought the cutscene was still going i was just like oh this is a weird angle all right sure and then <laughs> which is like also oh credit- my turn it's just a credit to how good it looks you know ah oh, absolutely which is even crazier because the gameplay is the best in this one would you agree with that I would 100% agree with that. I think it's it's absolutely seamless, fluid gameplay for sure. Every single game I ever play for the rest of my life should have a grapple hook. <laughs> oh, the grappling hook is the best addition to the equipment in this game. It is so fun. Those like big Great. swing landing melee moves where you just like pummel a dude from the grappling hook is incredible. It's satisfying to play. Not to mention the fact that it actually adds, like, timing and challenge more to the platforming, which is really needed. Totally. It was that, it was the grappling hook, and I thought another interesting addition to the, at least the climbing and the navigating, was the more frequent and interesting, like, temporary handholds that you could, like, stab your pick into and kind of maneuver around that way in a uh, smaller amount of time. It's just, it added a a few of those smaller things like that that I just thought was much needed. Very, very well done, and it it kept me a lot more engaged rather than, like, something like Uncharted 3. Especially when there's, like, thugs shooting at you, that Mm -hmm. having to figure out where your handhold's gonna be is even more important and even more stressful. Also, this is the only one of the games where I never fall to my death because I don't know where to jump. Not even once? Come on, don't lie to me, Garrett. There's one part that I think is really unclear during the auction sequence where you're going to meet Sully, Mm -hmm. where there's like a cliff face, and it looks like you could almost jump to the ledge that you're trying to get to, but I kind of think that's more intentional. Just to make you look harder at your options or something? Yeah, I think they want you to die first and then have to go like, okay, how do I actually get there? Interesting, huh? 
yeah, I'm not saying it's perfect or anything, but I do think that <laughs> I actually know where I'm going most of the time in this game. Yeah, in terms of, like, Assassin's Creed-style leaping to your death, a lot less on those numbers. Plus, we have the welcome addition of the Jeep, where we have these massive yeah. open areas to explore. Yeah, I like that. You get to use the winch. You love a winch. That's a really cool addition, and something that they show you how to use in a really unique way at the beginning when you're doing salvage diving. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I almost forgot about that. What a great twist that is, because that's really the first oh, yeah. That's the first modern thing you see with Nate is, ooh, what are we looking for? We're, we're looking under the water for some mysterious cargo that we're trying to find, and then slowly realizing that it's a salvage job. Incredible setup, great reveal. Again, looks fantastic. You don't know what you're in for until they hit you with it. The tone of that kind of catching up to Nate Drake's life and the way that they play that like, oh, look at our hero, Nathan Drake, who's forced to live his life in such a normal, boring way. Like literally exactly the way he is thinking. Like when you see him reminisce in his attic, shooting a little ball Nerf gun or being roped into yet another adventure despite the damage it will do to his life and relationships the way they resolve that again in the end with his growth and sam's growth and the actual resolution with those relationships with you know maybe not who you thought they were going to be with in the first place between you know like the brothers and the other adjacent characters in the end there and how that growth makes you be like oh that isn't like oh poor sad hero nathan drake is has a boring life it's like this is everything that he worked for more or less everything that he as a human being needs when he just kind of as an adventurer wants to go back out into the field it's so well done But overall, I think Uncharted 4, one of the best games ever made, the perfect conclusion to the Nate and Elena story to the point that if we ever get another Uncharted game and it's set after Uncharted 4, I'm going to be really mad if they're the leads. I'm not opposed to them being in it. I'm not even opposed to them being part of the adventure, but I do think that as far as I'm concerned, the book is literally closed on them. I want to see the franchise go in other directions if it goes anywhere. I completely agree. I think they've graduated their spots in the main spotlight here. I thought three was a really good way to close that. Four, you would have to, like, burn down their, like, daughter's house on the beach at the end and, like, do it John Wick style or something where they need to, like, get revenge for some reason. But that is, like, that that would be insanity. I'm glad that we got this last chapter on their journey, and I am excited to see the new movie, which is set before all of the games, but I do think the fact that, again, Uncharted for me is about the relationship between Nate and Elena, and the fact that there's no Elena means that inherently it's going to feel less than. Don't worry, though, we're going to talk a lot more about the Uncharted movie when it is streaming. I've got it scheduled for approximately the beginning of April. I don't know exactly when it'll hit streaming, but that's probably about right, I think. Well, that gives me at least enough time to throw together a rough Nathan Drake cosplay to wear to your room to watch that. Fantastic. Uh, it gives me enough time to start growing out my gray mustache. <laughs> oh, maybe that's a better idea. Oh, oh, we'll see. But let's move on to our pop culture reference of the episode. Let's do it. This week's pop culture reference are the Naughty Dog workplace environment controversies. Though hailed as one of the giants of modern AAA game development through many beloved game franchises such as Uncharted, 
Naughty Dog has had a history of poor development practices that border on abusive toward their programming staff. As of 2020, 70% of the non-lead designers that worked on Uncharted 4 are no longer with the company due to claims of hostile work environments and unhealthy workload expectations. That is approximately 14 out of 20 of these programmers. Many former employees have come forward and spoken about their experiences at the company, from an exploitative work culture to sexual harassment. Many of these employees also speak of pay being withheld until forced to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Even as recent as the latest Naughty Dog title, The Last of Us Part 2, claims of game crunch culture at the heart of nearly every department in the development team have been leaked by current and former employees. Some ex-employees claim that those close-to-release date crunch sessions have even been intense enough to send members of the development team to the hospital. This is a sickening and pervasive, really hot-button issue right now in the video game world, and it's really sad to see a company that's turning out as high-quality products as this are doing it by such, frankly, sad standards. I know Sony has kind of stood by them and covered stuff up as this continues to go on, because they, they own Naughty Dog. They're the parent company now. I feel like we hear about their game crunch stuff a lot when... I mean, there are obviously many other cases that are more related to terrible, terrible, just personal interactions between higher-ups and lower people on the development team. But, you know, we hear about this game crunch mostly around the time of a big release, like, uh, you know, Uncharted 4, I definitely heard a lot about it, and definitely around The Last of Us Part 2 was a big talking point for that. But then these games release, and they are, granted, very well made by these teams that are pushed to their absolute limits, and I find it very hard to separate a lot of the enjoyment I get from these games from what I know that the people who made it had to go through just for, you know, keeping that Naughty Dog bottom line, you know, copies sold, keeping it really, I guess they're trying to avoid a lot of the embarrassment that some AAA companies have been facing for their delays, for their incomplete games uh, on release, stuff like that. But it is truly no excuse for the horror stories that come out of such a highly acclaimed development studio. Let's hope we see a little bit of a a shape up around that kind of culture as we are now in the next gen hopefully it doesn't get worse before it gets better agreed but let's go ahead and move on to save the rec center now it's time to save the rec center where we bring you our weekly recommendations Seamus what's up with you this week well I've been going back through all these uncharted games a lot of nostalgia coming coming my way for my early days of the PS4 and I decided to re-download and platinum an old favorite of mine all the way back from 2014, whose thumbnail looks inexplicably like uh, Uncharted 4 on my PlayStation, to be honest. Far Cry 4, the unsung gem of the Far Cry series, has now made its way back onto my PlayStation, and I've been playing the hell out of it for the last week. It's definitely a lot more fun than I remember. It holds up in a lot of ways versus something like... Far Cry 5, which I played through fairly recently, and while I enjoyed it, it definitely was lacking in a lot of those Far Cry departments story-wise. This one is definitely a classic. One of my favorite all-time Far Cry villains is definitely Pagan Min, voiced by the incredible Troy Baker, of course. Troy Baker, who we didn't even talk about in oh, Uncharted yeah. 4. 
<laughs> oh, wow. Look at us, huh? Well, I did that on purpose then. I brought it right back around. Uh, yeah, it was definitely the inspiration of Uncharted 2 to come back to Far Cry 4 because it's a mountainous, Himalayan mountains-based kind of adventure. There's even a Yeti angle in Far Cry 4. It's a great ride. I haven't tried Far Cry 6 yet, but this is definitely a really fun one if you if you haven't played it in a while. Or at all. I don't know your experience with the Far Cry games, Garrett. But... I've watched Chaz play one of them. I cannot tell you which one. Far Cry 4. Please check it out. It's also dirt cheap because it's like, a, <laughs> like an 8-year-old game. So. Sure. But what do you got this week, Garrett? Well, color my parents annoyed because my rec center is also a video game. Uh, <laughs> this episode is just for none of our old folks. Are <laughs> because we didn't really talk about it that much during our Uncharted 4 segment, or at all, actually, now that I'm reflecting on it. The way that I revisited Uncharted 4 for this episode was in Uncharted, the Legacy of Thieves collection, ah. which unites Uncharted 4 and Uncharted, the Lost Legacy under one PS5 upgraded banner, and truly, I was talking about how blown away I was by Uncharted 4's graphics and seeing them unlocked at at that 4K resolution with that 60 frames, or actually 120 frames per second if you want to play 1080p, (laughs) just looks incredible. It's never felt better to play that kind of video game like it really does feel like a next generation upgrade plus even though the full price tag i think is 50 bucks if you go and grab uncharted lost legacy or uncharted 4 on disc which i'm sure you can for dirt cheap literally anywhere it's only a 10 dollar upgrade lost legacy as we mentioned multiple times um i've not played yet but i actually had the disc from my sister for christmas and so i popped it in my ps5 and got Uncharted 4 right there along with it. So that was a pretty pretty nice bonus. It is a fantastic upgrade to an already fantastic game, and it's definitely going to be the way that I end up playing Lost Legacy whenever I break that seal. I think I can echo those sentiments exactly at the end there. I think if I'm going to play Lost Legacy, it's going to be in the Legacy of Thieves, because just from everything I've seen, even from that initial uh, announcement trailer from Legacy of Thieves, it just looks wholly impressive and definitely something I want to get my hands on. Ten bucks is great for a next-gen upgrade, and I'll definitely be keeping my eye out for that. Oh, does the Legacy of Thieves, do they do uh, haptic feedback triggers? Oh, yeah, they absolutely do. It's incredible. Sold. Sold. Don't say another word. I'm going to buy that mother right now. When you're doing your little slidey thing in Uncharted 4 and you feel the gravel underneath you and then you feel the pressure as you let your grapple hook go. Damn, that's that is fantastic. I love that. It's that is super satisfyingly implemented. It's really an impressive thing and I know we just got done talking about how Naughty Dog has too much <laughs> crunch going on, but also they're putting out really 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 amazing products. Like I've not honestly, I wish God of War had gotten that treatment for its PS5 mm. upgrade because mm. God of War still looks great and at 60 frames and everything else, but if it had had that haptic feedback that Uncharted 4 just got, it would have been unstoppable. God, well, you've definitely sold me, dude. That that sounds like a great Uncharted experience. Well, I'll slide I'll slide you my Lost Legacy disc sometime yeah. if you wanna if you wanna upgrade. Hell yeah, dude. Thank you. But that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show on social media, you can tweet us, find us on TikTok, or find us on Instagram at PCR underscore podcast. You can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, give us a subscription on YouTube, and wherever you're listening, please give us a rating, a thumbs up, leave a comment. All of that engagement really helps the show out. 
Next week, we're going to be covering maybe Nightmare Alley, maybe Horizon Zero Dawn. We're kind of figuring out what exactly we want to we want to yeah. take a toss at there. Playing it by ear for sure. But either way, it's going to be a great episode. Both of those are top quality. Both of those I have really yet to fairly experience. So really, oh, yeah, you need to get your little Horizon button gear, Strother. I, I, I better, I better. <laughs> but uh, until then, we'll see you all next week. Adios, kid. That was great, Seamus. Good job. Thanks. Thanks. That was a first draft. That was off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs>